0: My name is Sarah Rourke, and I am a pulmonary and critical care physician at Denver Health here in Denver, Colorado. Uh, I am the medical director for our pulmonary rehab program and an active member of the ATS Pulmonary Rehab Assembly and the Pulmonary Rehab Assembly Web Committee. Uh, I am uh, uh, privileged today to introduce Dr. Akshay Sood. Professor of Medicine at the University of New Mexico in the Division of Pulmonary and Critical Care Medicine, who is a Miners Colfax Medical Center Chair in Mining Related Lung Disease and also Medical Director for the Miners Wellness Teleecho Health Clinic. And Dr. Sood, um, thank you for joining us today to discuss uh, this very interesting uh, report. Of the uh, ERS-ATS Joint Workshop Report on Respiratory Health Effects of Household Air Pollution that was uh, published in 2018. Hello, Dr. Sood.
1: Hello, Dr. Rourke.
0: Uh, Dr. Sood, um, obviously, just based on the work that you do on a regular basis, uh, you clearly have an interest in... Uh, how the environment and various occupations impact the respiratory system. And I noticed that um, not only are you the first author of this uh, workshop report, but you were also one of the chairs of the panel for the workshop. Um, Can you tell me uh, how um, this workshop began forming and why you felt it was important to bring it together?
1: Well, thank you, Dr. Ruark, for this opportunity. Um, You know, I I am in Albuquerque, New Mexico, um, and uh, a lot of my patients um, actually report household air pollution from wood wood stove use, and um, uh, when I came here about 12 years ago, um, I started noticing a pattern of uh, uh, COPD, um, asthma, and respiratory tract infections in my own patients. And I thought that was really quite strange because I always believed this was a problem of the developing world. Uh, and then I started talking to other people, um, you know, who had similar exposures um, in their patients, particularly those who lived in the, in the Mountain West area and the Appalachian, rural Appalachian area. And it seemed that it was very important to really uh, join the dots and tell the story of how, um, uh, how an exposure uh, that is really relevant all across the world. Um, should be studied very carefully, uh, and there was a need uh, to have a scientific workshop uh, that would have representation from both low-income, middle-income, and high-income countries uh, to uh, to describe the health effects uh, better. Um, and there was particularly a need uh, to emphasize um, the need for research, the need to uh, develop uh, this area further in both. Uh, low and middle income com- countries, as well as high income countries.
0: Well, that is really interesting, and I'm glad you brought up um, the wide uh, demographics that this uh, these effects can include. Um, as you mentioned, we often think that this is in low income countries, and certainly with my own patient population, that's often um, the, the patients where you know they've originated from lower income countries that we've seen these effects. But um, I think it's a very important point that you bring up that um, higher-income countries are also included and and including right here in the United States that we have these risk factors.
1: Well, that's correct, Dr. Roar. So we were very lucky uh, that um, the uh, American Thoracic Society, uh, the Environmental Occupational Population Health Assembly, uh, the European Respiratory Society were both interested in this area, and by uh, utilizing a, a, you know, a very senior scientist, uh, Dr. John Baums, uh, we put together um, a request for a workshop uh, to get some funding from the NIH, uh, primarily because we wanted to have some funding for all our international participants, uh, most of them from low- and middle-income countries. Um, and, uh, and we were lucky to have some co-funding from the Global Alliance Of clean cook stoves as well, and with all you know, these small amounts of money, we were able to put together um, a very good scientific workshop that was attended by representatives from all five continents.
0: Well, that's wonderful that it has spanned um, such an international community to be uh, included in this discussion, so that um, er various areas have um, input and can reflect on their own communities and populations. So let's begin. by delving into the article um, and, excuse me, the report and first talking in the, the first section about um, the types of fuels or what actually is included in the term household air pollution. I noticed that um, most detail within the report incl- includes wood, um, and it goes into the science of um, wood burning and the particles. Um, can you talk a little bit to us about Um, wood itself and where it's used but also uh, other contributions or other
1: uh, fuels that are included for household air pollution? Well, you know, the greatest contribution to household air pollution uh, is the burning of solid fuels and you mentioned wood. Um, And, um, you know, the the term called biomass uh, includes many other solid fuels other than wood. This includes charcoal, um, residues of crops, Uh, an agricultural product Uh, and interestingly even now animal dung including cow dung and camel dung uh, is used uh, for heating and cooking. In addition um, to these biomass fuels, uh, coal is another solid fuel that contributes to household air pollution.
0: And when we say household air pollution, can you um, describe exactly what these fuels are being used um,
1: to burn for and in what capacity? These solid fuels are used uh, to provide energy for heating and for cooking. Uh, What's interesting is that uh, in most houses in the high-income countries uh, that are using these solid fuels, it is being used for heating. Uh, But uh, in low- and middle-income countries, it is being used for both heating as well as cooking.
0: Okay, and I think that's very important because it really brings um, the picture of what these fuels are being used for into a home, and we can all imagine um, a home our own and uh, you know fu- you know fuels for heating on a daily basis as well as cooking on a daily basis and we can all think of cultures in which those are varied in types because of resources or um, you know, cultural expectations or geography. Uh, so I, I find it very helpful to think of that in a real-life um, situation as a as a mother, you know, making dinner for her family, and what that includes on a daily basis.
1: Uh, that's a great point, and I also have to remind myself um, that uh, you know, when mothers cook in the kitchen, uh, their children are forever present around them, um, and it is not only the exposure to the mother but the exposure to the child while the cooking is being carried out. Uh, during the most critical phase of the child's lung growth and development, uh, that is a very important factor here.
0: And that really brings um, up to a point of the people that are affected most by household air pollution. And I think um, you've begun to talk about it with you know, the mothers being affected, as well as uh, children, especially young children, um, who are often at their mother's uh, ankles or carried on their back during these times. Um, when mothers are preparing that. Have you seen that uh, household air pollution, uh, we've seen most of the effects in women and children or is that um,
1: a misconception? No, it's uh, fairly well established that in low and middle income countries, um, it's primarily the women and young children uh, that are most affected. Uh, What's interesting is that in high income countries, uh, you know, this gender uh, uh, predilection towards women is not as obvious uh, because um, men often play the role uh, of, uh, uh, of striking the fires for heating the house and for maintaining uh, the wood cook stoves uh, in high-income countries. So as a result, we don't see this, uh, this gender difference that is so striking in low- and middle-income countries. We don't see that difference uh, as well in high-income countries.
0: Uh, and in just a little bit, I'm going to, t- to um, talk more about the health equality question, or you know, socioeconomic differences, uh, particularly in the area of household air pollution, because I think it does uh, very much highlight those. Um, and so we'll come back to this in just a, a few minutes. But I just want to um, review a little bit more from the report: the solid fuel risk versus tobacco smoke. I found it very interesting that there was some contrasting pieces to that uh, you know in the effects that we see on the respiratory system while similar there are also some differences uh, in the types of respiratory disease uh, and the cell types um can you tell us a little bit about uh about that about the respiratory disease you see with solid fuel versus cigarette smoking or tobacco smoke that were more traditionally thought um, of with
1: like COPD. You know, and there's very little data to really look at the differences uh, between the exposure patterns of uh, solid fuel uh, versus tobacco smoke. Uh, But I think uh, a few things we do understand. We do understand that household air pollution exposures occur over longer time frames as opposed to uh, a single cigarette smoked. Uh, which lasts only for a few minutes. So while, um, uh, you know, while the exposure, uh, at the time of smoking may be quite high, uh, these exposures don't last over hours, uh, particularly during uh, key periods of lung development or repair uh, that's occurring during childhood while, you're, while, while uh, young children are in the house. Uh, and also remember, um, you often breathe that air uh, all through the night while you're sleeping. Uh, you know, and, and and you don't smoke while you're sleeping, for instance. Um, so, in terms of the exposures, uh, the mean exposures may not be as high, but the the the, the longer term exposures uh, are certainly um, very significant uh, because uh, they are drawn out over a longer time frame in household air pollution.
0: That's a very interesting point, Doctor Sud, because I often think um, we don't really realize the air within our home and the pollution that is there, not only is it affecting us uh, us or people throughout the world when they're actually doing the activity, but you make a very good point about uh, overnight while we're sleeping and while the whole family is sleeping within a home, um, that that risk remains and that pollution remains. Uh, so I think that's a really nice picture of, of uh, you know, really an example of the risk and how it's more prolonged. Um, I personally hadn't thought about uh, about that you know sticking around uh particularly overnight um, and then the uh the other question I would have is you know many of the populations particularly um, in lower income countries where they would have a risk for high, uh household air pollution with cooking and heat um these are also countries where there's A significant amount of smoking itself and is there an increased risk for uh, when the
1: two are combined for exposure? You know studies in both low-income countries as well as the United States are suggesting that there is an additive effect. So if individuals are both smoking and exposed to household air pollution, uh, the combined effect will be higher than if they uh, had uh, only one of those risk factors. And this is a, a very important issue uh, because uh, women in low- and middle-income countries um, who are using uh, solid fuels for heating or cooking, if they also start smoking, as there has been an increase uh, in uh, the smoking prevalence in women in these countries, uh, the effects are going, to be more, uh, are going to be additive, and we're going to see uh, even a greater problem. Um, well,
0: I think that really um, is a great segue into um, the question of or the, the piece of this uh, report that really brings to mind uh, health equality and, uh, you know, exposure risk between various populations. I certainly have um, an interest in um, health equality and particularly in uh, gender differences, but also just, um, I think, as a whole, as we approach our patients and um, try to help them the best, uh, it, it helps us to think of um, all the different pieces that make them, you know, who they are. Um, and so I think uh, household air pollution um, specifically does seem to highlight the gender um, inequality or um, equality issues, if you will, um, that women are most affected, as you previously mentioned, um, because they're often performing the cooking and the household chores uh, within the lower income countries being studied but do you think that this uh, particular piece of this um, issue uh, positively or negatively impacts uh, the research and the awareness in this field?
1: Uh, absolutely I mean I'll give you a very simple example in the United States there's very little awareness that uh, household air pollution is the risk factor for COPD within this country and the reason why that's the case is uh, because um, you know, wood burning is, is a problem in rural America, uh, not much of a problem in urban America. It often affects um, uh, sections of society that are invisible. Um, you know, for instance, Native American pueblos. Um, so, uh, so, you know, there are, there are susceptible populations in the United States as well. And now, um, if we look at the world as a whole, um you know problems of uh, of rural uh, uh, populations is often not given as much uh, attention uh, as problems of uh, say urban and richer populations might be
0: um yes and that's what, um that's what i suspected um particularly as i was reading this that um you know there may not be as much awareness and because these are often in um either less visible or um less uh, uh, well funded areas. There may not be as much interest or available resources to further um study these effects uh on on the different populations. Um so I do find it interesting and I'm sure it was a bit of a challenge to um get funding even for the workshops, you know, by convincing people that this was an important topic. Um, so thankfully Thankfully, there were some groups that that did find it important and um, provide funding so we can learn more about this. Um, And because of this, you know, and also um, because of uh, the same populations that are affected, I did notice that most of the outcomes that we're looking for for studying and for um, trying alternative fuel sources are often, um, the outcomes are often monitored in children, Uh, and the the study in 2011 that was published in the Lancet, the RESPIRE study, was highlighted um, in this report, particularly with their significant outcome, uh, finding that a decrease in, in uh, severe pneumonia is when they switched uh, from open fire versus the Planka stove. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the importance of that study as well as um,
1: why the outcomes are often measured in children? Um, so, uh, you know, uh, children have respiratory tract infections and that uh, turns out to be um, the greatest cause of illness in children globally. So if anything can be done to curtail these respiratory tract infections, particularly um, in, in rural children, uh, it, it would have a, a significant impact across the world. Um, so one of the landmark studies is in fact the respire a uh, study that you mentioned using the Planca stove, which is an improved uh, uh, cook stove design. And um, this was uh, a study done in Highland Guatemala that recruited uh, pregnant women uh, and uh, young children. Um, and um, its uh, primary outcome was to look whether the Planca stove intervention would reduce the incidence of pneumonia in children less than 18 months of age. What's really interesting is that uh, it did not reduce the incidence of pneumonia, but it reduced the incidence of severe pneumonia, which was a secondary outcome in this study. Um, And so this was actually a very important study because uh, for the first time, we had good data from a randomized controlled trial that something could be done about severe pneumonias. And uh, there was another trial that came came out, the findings of which came out, about the same time as the RESPIRE trial. And this was uh, using a Patsari stove in Mexico. And they also showed uh, lower upper and uh, lower respiratory tract infection prevalence in, in Mexican children with evidence of a dose-response relationship. And these two studies were actually very exciting um, uh, because it, it demonstrated for the first time uh, that something could be done about this. Um, what's really interesting is that um, recently, and I think that's in 2017, uh, the CAPS study, which is the Cooking and the Pneumonia study, uh, from Rural Malawi was published. And, um, and that did not show any effects on the risk of pneumonia in children under five years of age. And then there was a meta-analysis published that showed no impact on lower acute respiratory tract infections or severe pneumonia in children. Now, this really was... Uh, uh, very disappointing uh, because um, you know one didn't anticipate negative results um, after two very important studies that had shown positive results. And but it tells us a very very important um, message uh, that we should never forgot and that we should have never forgotten to begin with. And that is that uh, that addressing just one source of household air, air pollution exposure and isolation may not be enough. Um, and that we really need to have integrated approaches that involve the whole community towards achieving clean air that deals with uh, rubbish disposal, uh, household tobacco smoking, uh, as well as uh, robust cleaner cooking solutions that achieve a high acceptance rate from the communities, and that um, that the, the negative gap study should remind us that uh, we shouldn't focus on just one, but focus on integrated approaches.
0: And uh, is that, do you think... a uh moving forward with integrative uh, approaches, which often include legislative or regulation changes, um, are going to be difficult?
1: Well, um, uh, yes and no. Um, uh, They're always difficult because um, it seems that, uh, you know, whenever you do integrated approaches, uh, they're going to be more expensive. But I'd also say no to it because um, uh, I think if there's political will uh, and community participation, uh, things can change. Um, for instance, I'll give you an example of what's being uh, described uh, in some countries, and in fact, there's a very large ongoing NIH trial uh, in several countries, and that's really looking at uh, changing the entire community usage uh, in a low-income country uh, from uh, from wood. To, to LPG. Now, this is, um, you know, a, a, a really a revolutionary approach because uh, you're just not changing the cook stove design of a household. You're changing the pattern uh, of usage from uh, dirty fuel to clean fuel in a community. Um, and, and, you know, those kind of community-level interventions um, th- th- that uh, th- have, have a far greater chance of demonstrating positive health outcomes uh, than you know, continuation of the use of dirty um, uh, fuel uh, with a better cookstove design.
0: I can imagine um, that those interventions, too, at a community level are more likely to stick around as well than just on a, you know, house-by-house basis to change one piece um, so that perhaps we could get longer-term change supported by the community themselves uh, so that... um, to make to make more of a lasting change.
1: That's correct, Dr. Rourke.
0: So, and uh, so as you move forward with uh, the household air pollution and this issue, where do you see it going from here?
1: Um, well, I think even after the ERS ATS workshop report was published, there has been a lot more. Uh, newer information that's come out. So one thing is very obvious is that uh, uh, that more and more people are studying this problem. Uh, more and more people are studying interventions uh, and and determining what works and what doesn't work. Uh, we still don't have the best solution as yet, uh, but there is greater amount of funding and greater amount of interest in this.
0: Oh, and I think that's very reassuring and optimistic for us, um, particularly the question of why. Um, the pulmonary rehab assembly is interested is um, in this topic is because we often see patients with lung disease, and um, we don't have any specific reason why, or you know how the etiology of their lung disease, which means we also aren't sure how to um, tell them how to you know what changes to make within their lifestyle, within their home, so that they're no longer exposed. Certainly within a rehab program, there's smoking cessation counseling, there's lifestyle modifications and education um, in those regards. But without further information about this, it's hard to educate people, which is one of the pillars of pulmonary rehab, on other risk factors that they may have. So I think um, the more information that we have and the more we learn about household air pollution, we can certainly educate our patients. more thoroughly and uh so that they are able to you know limit their um continued risk and thus um
1: you know a lo- have longer term benefits and a more functional life Well said. You know, I just wanted to add one thing to this, and this is United States literature. In the United States, um, the risk of having COPD in rural communities, um, particularly poor rural communities, is much higher than in metropolitan communities. And uh, we shouldn't forget that a quarter of all COPD occurs in non-smokers. And so even for the United States, it's really quite important to remember that COPD is just not a smoker's disease and that we need to ask questions about household air pollution, environmental tobacco smoke exposure, and occupational exposures, and address those exposures.
0: I think that's a very good point. Um, Myself, um, I'm from a – a small rural community, and I have grown up knowing uh, households that use um, wood-burning stoves for heat, as well as um, even some for cooking and, and such, and so uh, I agree. I think that remembering that these risk factors also uh, lead to lung disease, and specifically with COPD, uh, is very important and uh, also you know trying to find modifications for that uh will be um helpful for us as we move forward for our patients especially those that we see from uh you know from more rural communities within our own, within our own country
1: you know there's one other thing that i wanted to to talk about and that is that uh, you know there are some key differences uh, between smoking-related COPD uh, and household air pollution-related COPD. Uh, and the data suggests that household air pollution, COPD is airway-centric. So there's, uh, there tends to be a greater amount of chronic bronchitis symptoms and small airways disease um, in household air pollution. Um, on the other hand, there's lesser amount of emphysema um, in household air pollution as compared to uh, tobacco smoke-related COPD. And we don't quite understand why those differences exist, uh, but uh, maybe the pattern of deposition uh, of the particulate matter may have something to do with it.
0: I also found um, within that same um, section that there um, appears to be more small airways disease in household air pollution, um, which is supported by um, imaging with CT scans. Um, And so, you know, we often don't know why patients have small airways disease and they don't meet full criteria for COPD and I think this um, sheds some light on that uh, with as we work with our patients with with symptoms and then see their their imaging study and that is correct Dr. Rock so and um, do you think that this leads to differences in how we should treat
1: patients well we don't know quite as yet um, and that's the honest answer uh, you know, we haven't had studies that have compared smoking-related COPD therapeutic interventions with uh, household air pollution-related uh, COPD therapeutic interventions.
0: Um, well, this has been uh, a great discussion, Dr. Sood, and I very much appreciate your time and joining us today for our podcast and exploring this uh, very interesting topic of household air pollution. Uh, you and your uh, team did a wonderful job with the workshop report, and uh, I'm so happy to have uh, have you with me today uh, discussing this important topic so we can bring more awareness um, to household air pollution and, uh, more importantly, our patients that are affected by it.
1: Well, thank you for the opportunity,
0: Dr. Rourke.